Good morning, Kavanaugh. For those of you that remained in town for the holiday weekend, we're glad that you're here. And for those that are watching us online, we thank you for joining us. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, right? Amen. So will you stand with us and let's sing, Be Glad.
Amen. Good morning, Kavanaugh Church family. How's everyone doing? I feel like I have a shadow behind me. <laughs> it's Jed, bodyguard today. It's good to see everyone, uh, and it's so glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for being here at Kavanaugh Church. We know that God has something really special and incredible today, and we're glad that you're here to celebrate the, what the Lord has done, not only for Him in our lives, but what He's continuing to do in the lives of us and, and His people. So, so glad to see you. And uh, holiday weekend, like Miss Angie said, thank you so much for those still here in town being here. I heard it's been a good weekend so far. All the important college football teams have won, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyways, but man, it is so fantastic. We've been praying for you all week, and we know, again, God has something special for us today. If you're a first-time guest, uh, there's a little connect card in the chair back in front of you. We want to make sure that you know about our church and how you can connect and fit in. So if you could fill that out. And right after service, out these back doors, you can just take it to the Connect counter. We have a gift for you, and we want to be able to tell you about our church and what's going on here throughout the week. But it's awesome to see you guys, and again, we're so glad that you're here. I'm going to invite you all to stand. We're going to ask God's anointing on our services today. Let's pray with one another. Lord, we love you, and again, thank you so much for bringing us back into this place, God. We love our church, and we love our church people, and uh, Lord, we just celebrate you. So from us, receive all praise, honor, and glory today, God, and uh, as the word is preached, help us to be able to uh, be well-equipped for the mission that you have us to, for us, to be able to be a light to this world that desperately needs to know you. In your name, amen. Greet those around you, and we'll get started in a few seconds. Yeah. Okay.
Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
God, we just give it to you this morning. We are so grateful to be just to be able to worship you this morning, to be in your house with fellow believers, Lord, and to lift your name up high. God, as I look around I just, and in my own life, in my own family, Lord, I see people who need you, who need your presence, who, who need you every second of every day. Lord, we just, we invite you to be with us, to just walk with us, not just here, but Lord, when we leave this place at work or at school or Lord, just in any company that we're in, we pray that we're in your company and that the people around us know that we're in your company and that they see you through us. Lord, I pray that your presence would just pour over this place this morning. And as the word is preached, Lord, you would open our hearts and, and that each one of us would just hear what you have to say. Lord, we thank you so much for everything that you've done for us and everything that we know you will do for us. In your son's name, I pray. Thank you, praise team. Give God a big hand. All glory, honor, and praise go to his name. Welcome to Kavanaugh. We're certainly glad that you're here today. And I am delighted to have a couple of my good, good friends with us. This is Clint Morgan. He is the director of international missions uh, based in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, we're delighted to have Brother Clint with us. Greet Brother Clint this morning. Let him know we're glad to have him. And a native Arkansan, Don Matchett, serves at International Missions. Don is the Director of Development. He just happened to be in the state uh, this week and was able to be here on this Sunday. Uh, last week we gave to our world mission offering, and the, the custom here at Kavanaugh is that we just give the, the whole offering, whatever comes in uh, on our Sunday morning offering, we'll give to world missions. Uh, it's been something we've done for several years. Uh, this year was a little different. There was this just kind of a spirit that came over us, and uh, we challenged the congregation to give a little bit more. In fact, the goal was how much? $50,000, which is it was a pretty big chunk of money. And, but you know what? I, I felt like our people could do it. I, I, I know you people, and I know you're great givers. You love the Lord, and you are all for world mission. When, when the initial offering came in and we counted it on Monday, I, I thought to myself, we need to call Brother Clint and see if there's any way he could be here to receive this gift on this day. So I called Brother Clint. Uh, he moved some things around in his schedule, and I'm so glad that you did because we're glad that you're here. Throughout the week, money kept trickling in and coming in, and uh, I'm blown away. I, I honestly am absolutely blown away by you people, but you know, I don't know why I'm blown away because it's just the way Kavanaugh Church is. You were challenged to give $50,000. I am happy to present this check to Clint and Don and International Missions. World Mission offering $73,003.15. That is, that's, that's, 
That's $73,003.15. That is absolutely amazing, amazing, isn't it? It is. It really is. You didn't give grudgingly or out of necessity. You gave with a cheerful heart because that's the way God loves to bless cheerful people. So give yourself a hand and let's celebrate the goodness of God. That's absolutely amazing. Amazing. And and I know. Look at it up there. Yeah, I know. That's huge, man. So. God bless you, buddy. Bless you. So Love good you, to have both of you here. And we talked Brother Clint into preaching for us this morning. This is the, yeah, there you go. This is the most interesting man that I know. He served as a missionary in Africa and then in France. And now he is the director of international missions for Free Will Baptist. I'm going to pray for Brother Clint. You pray for him as well and open your hearts to God's word. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. I thank you for my brother. I pray a blessing on him as he opens the word of God. As he speaks it on the outside, would you please speak it into our hearts? Challenge us and change us. And Lord, I pray that out of this service today, you would call young men and young women to the mission field. I pray that some older folks would hear that call and answer it as well. And dear Lord, if we can't go, I pray that we would continue to give and to pray until all the world hears the good news of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Good morning. That was a little bit too enthusiastic. I think we need to try that again. Um, let me say first of all that thank you for uh, this is a truly a mind-boggling offering and uh, thank you for giving and I love what brother Will said that you gave joyfully and you gave you weren't constrained to do it you gave it out of a heart and and we're just thankful for your willingness to serve to give and uh, this church has been faithful for a long time I do want to say one thing a couple things just about the world mission offering and so you know, I, I, don't, I hope we're all agreed that if you give money to something, you want to know that it's money well invested. The World Mission Offering is a significant part of our operations for each year. It has three main things that the money goes for, and I think it truly is one of the most comprehensive ways to give to IM. Number one, we have lots of partnerships. We have over 25 different partnerships that helps us to get into 34 different countries. Now, we don't have missionaries in every one of those countries, but we have partner organizations that are working and helping us get there. But we have six countries that where we had missionaries. We no longer have missionaries, but we have an ongoing relationship with them, and especially as it relates to Bible Institute and evangelism, evangelistic efforts. When you give to the World Mission Offering, that money goes to support those partnerships. So that's number one. That's a great way to give. I'll give you one example. There was a missionary. There is a missionary. His name is Jeff, well, two, Jeff and Susan Turnbow. They work with a, one of our partner agencies called International Training Alliance. And through their, organ, through their organization over the last 10 years or so, they have helped train over 3,000 leaders from over 100 different countries. Now, 
So when you think about what you're giving, that's not going to happen every time. And you know, but I, I'm telling you, that is a great example of how your money, your WMO money is being used. So thank you for, for giving for that. Second thing is, we always have missionaries that those that are on the field, their accounts go in the red. So we try to take part of the world mission offering, make sure when we close the year out that all missionary accounts are out of the red. That's one of our heart's desires. And that is world mission offering money that helps to be able to do that. But one of the things that we really love doing and very excited about now is when young missionaries come and they are approved by the board. I hope you know that your pastor is a great, and I do mean a fantastic board member. But when, our, when they, the board approves every missionary, they have to go out and raise money. They come to you and other places and they raise their monthly support. But one of the hardest parts is in the very beginning when they're trying to get their money, you know, they sort of start off at zero. You know, and then uh, they're going out and spending money. And so it really sort of goes backwards for a while. And then they have to have so much money, a uh, 10% of their budget in cash in their account before they can actually go on salary. So our goal, one of our goals is to give every young missionary, once those missionaries are approved, to just go, okay, you now have ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 in your account. So I'm telling you, those are two fantastic things that happen with your world mission offering. Third thing is general fund. Now, and I say this sort of jokingly, but truthfully, if we have funds left over after we've taken care of those two tasks, then we will put it in the general fund. So this is truly, like I said, one of the most comprehensive ways that you have that you can give to missions. So I'm glad you gave. I appreciate you giving. And I want to tell you again, uh, uh, as we say in French, there's a great French expression, merci mille fois, which means thank you 1,000 times. And we could tell you that a thousand times today, and it would not be. In fact, we'll tell you just 73,000 times. How about that? that that's, that's what we feel about it. But thank you for giving. If you have your Bibles today, I, I know you're going to be surprised, but I'm a, sort of a missions message. But more so, what I want to do, what I, I'm looking forward to today is being uh, just, I hope it's edifying to you, encourages you, but also challenges you some on, on, and just to sit back and reflect on some things about your life and, and yourself as a follower of Christ. Now, a very familiar passage is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. I came to the end of my first term, as uh, Brother Will said, my wife and I, we served as missionaries in Africa for almost 30 years, then we served in France, then we came back and been serving as general director of the mission since 2010. But I came to the end of my first term. We worked up in the northeast corner of Ivory Coast, West Africa. And on my first trip up, just to tell you, give you an idea of what it was like, we had to travel almost 300 miles on dirt road just to get there. Now that's in the bush. I'm just telling you, that's it. that was in the bush. I went through my first term trying to learn the language. The language of that area was Lobi language. It was a beautiful language, trying to learn about the culture, but also going out into the villages and doing evangelism. But one of my heart's passions was making disciples. We have a couple of young men that came, and I wanted to use what we call the Paul-Timothy method. Just take them, walk with them, train them, go places with them. Long story short, I came to the end of my first term. I was talking to one of our senior missionaries, Eddie Payne, and I said, you know, I'm not sure what my story is going to be when I get back to the States. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I had three disciples, and they all were Judases. True story. They left the Lord. They stole money from me. They did all kinds of things. And it, it is. It's very, very disappointing when you think about that. 
So we know that in the whole process, even with Christ, he had 12 men. They were his disciples. And they followed him. They were with him three years. And I, I, just a little note, side note here. I want us to understand that Christ took three years with his disciples. He did not need three years with his disciples. Would you agree on that? He could have just said, you're a super disciple now. And everybody, okay, I'm giving you all the knowledge you need. And that happened. But I think it was a great lesson to learn as you see Christ spending that time with his disciples. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, it's sort of, this is the end of their experience, the end of their three years. Now, I have a strange habit, and may, you may, somebody may throw a stone at me for something like this. But when I read a book, and I don't read a lot of fiction, but when I go on vacation, I like to have one, anyone John Grisham fans are in here? I like to have a John Grisham book. I call it brain-dead reading. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to think about it. But when I pick up one of those John Grisham books, I go to the last chapter and read it first. I told that to my office staff one day, and they go, what? Why do you do that? I said, well, I want to know who's alive at the end of the story. Because if there's people if I'm reading, and in that story, there are people I don't like. I say, well, that's okay. They're going to be dead by the end of the story anyway. So, you know, it sort of makes a little more interesting reading, you know, because you know how it's going to end, you know, and we do. But in this particular setting, this is Christ sitting down with his disciples, and he's giving them his instructions and what he wants to do. Now, think about this, a very short period of three years, and he didn't say, okay, guys, go, you know, have a good time, live your life, live a good Christian life. He said, do what? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Wow, that's, that's overload. That's, <laughs> that's overload charge, right? You, you know, all nations? Yes, that's what I want you to do. And how are you going to do that? And you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to teach them. And this is what's interesting. He said, you teach them all things that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Now, at IM, International Missions, this is our mission statement. And our mission statement says, IM labors with the body of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, let's be clear about this. The Great Commission was given to all disciples. I hope you believe that. When he said, go to all nations, he meant all, all Christians of all times and all eras. That is a responsibility that is put on our shoulders. We are called to be, live in obedience to this great commission. In the Lobi culture, they, they have an interesting practice. If a father is going on a long journey, one of the things he will do, he will call his family together, and he will give each one of his kids assignments. I want you to do this. You take care of the goats. You take care of the sheep. You take care, you know, you do the cooking. You do the washing. And when he, he goes away and when he comes back, he sits down with them. Did you take care of the goats? Did you take care of the sheep? Did you do the washing? Did you do the things that you were supposed to do? So much like that, Christ is sitting down at that moment with his disciples and he said, I'm leaving. This is settled now. He's gone. He's going to leave. And he said, I now I want you as my disciples, to go into the world, and I want you to make disciples. And we have taken that as our responsibility as believers, and when every missionary that goes out with I am, everyone on our staff, we say it over and over again in our office, we want everyone to know what our mission statement's about. Everything we do needs to be pointing to fulfilling that great commission, obeying Christ in all things. And that's what he said, I want you to live in obedience. I want all the things that I've commanded you, that's what I want you to do. 
Now, we do not have time, obviously, today to go through everything that Christ taught them, the example that he set. But I want us to just take several lessons, or six, as a matter of fact, that I will give you six little lessons, I think, that we can learn just by this interaction with Christ and his disciples. Now, he was equipping them. And this is what he said in verse 20. And I'm going to go back and emphasize verse 20 now. He said, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, that, you know, our pastor, former pastor of our church in, in Nashville, Donaldson, I would go to the Donaldson Fellowship, and our pastor wrote a book, or, and he said, all means all, and that's all that all means. And when Christ said, I want you to obey all things, you do not, and please understand, you do not get to pick and choose. Okay, I, this one's pretty good. I, okay, I can do that one, but hey, I'm, you know, there are certain things I'm just not going to do. You don't, th- that's not a pack, you know, it's not that way. He said, I want you to obey all things. Teach them to observe all things. Now, let's go back to the beginning of our story. We, that's sort of the last chapter, if you want to say, of the book. And this is what he told them to do, and then he, he left. But let's go back to the beginning. How did all of this begin? And you find the beginning of this in Matthew chapter 4. And some of you, if you have your Bibles, or you can sit on the screen, I hope. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, we're not going to read all of these verses, but there are a couple of things I want us to point out. In verse 19... Now, this is Christ with his disciples. He's calling his disciples, and he simply said to them, follow me. And then verse 20 says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, these are fishermen. That's the way they made their living, their life, their children, their family. Everyone depended on them bringing fish in, selling fish. The government, by the way, also depended on these fishermen because they were able to charge taxes. So there were a lot of people that were affected. Now, think about your job. You guys uh, and whoever you, I'm speaking especially to our married people right now. Think about uh, your job, what you do right now. And then you come home from work one day and your wife says, well, how did it go today? Well, I quit. Why? Well, I'm following somebody. Some guy said, follow him. Do you know this person? No, I just met him today, but he said, follow him. So I'm going to follow him. Can you imagine how that would go over? I mean, seriously. I, I can't imagine the shock of what they were thinking. Drop your nets. Drop your nets is what he's saying, and follow him. And th- now, one of the things that you study, and you go through this whole concept of dropping your net, sometimes we say, well, that's just walking away from everything. I don't think it's walking away from everything. I think it's walking towards something, toward a, 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 a life of obedience. I'm going to follow him wherever he leads me. Now, there are times when he calls us to literally walk away from our nets, to leave everything and take on another life, a missionary life. Great example, Joel and Liddy Teague, missionaries to France. I don't know if you know them, some of you met them, but I'm telling you, an amazing young couple. This is one of a classic example to me of what it means to drop your nets. Joel is at work. He's an IT person. He's sitting there. His wife, Liddy, is a paralegal, so she did the legal stuff. So he is sitting at his desk one day, just typing away, doing IT work. And it was like God just said, you're sitting here working on this IT stuff, and French people are dying and going to hell. And you know the culture, and you know the language, and you can do something about it. He said it was, I mean, it was truly an epiphany. And what is he going to do with it? He said, well, he's like, he wasn't quite, maybe, I don't know how the disciples did it. Oh, by the way, I quit my job today. You know, when he got home, that's what he said. He, wife, how did the work go? Well, I think I'm going to quit my job. Why? 
I know, and he told her what happened. I'm sitting there, and I'm just thinking, we, we know the language. We know the culture. We can reach these people. And she looked at him and said, God's telling me exactly the same thing. And this young couple dropped their nets, and they followed Christ. And I'm telling you, I could tell you stories about their ministry. Amazing what God is doing to them. Now, with the disciples, there are no indications. In fact, there's some of the opposite. There's no indication that they never fished again. They fished some more. Yeah. Probably went back to fishing quite a bit after he left them. So it's not saying you've got to, don't, please, don't go home and say, you know what the preacher told me to do? Quit my job. So I'm going to quit my job. Uh, it'd be a good idea if you know if you're going to, if you can quit your job, follow him. That's all I'm going to say. Be sure you're following him if you're doing that. This is not just your free way out. But follow him. And this is what I think is that, that whole spirit of the thing is you're surrendering. And if he says, stay exactly where you are and observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, obey these things, that's good. But it's an idea of you are choosing to live in obedience to him and his direction every day of your life. Be resolved. Be resolved to live in obedience to his Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you, uh, again, uh, what time do we need to quit? All right. Just let me tell you, uh, and I think it's important for us to understand, there's a difference between desire. Now, if I ask you, and I'm probably just going to make you raise your hand so I'll make sure you're still awake. How many of you say, I would love to see every person in the world come to Christ? Raise your hand. Come on. You know, if we're believers, that's what we want. We want to see people come to Christ. Now, this desire, Right? I remember I was 17 years old. I was a little cocky, a little arrogant. And uh, can't, I know that's not hard to believe someone 17 is cocky and arrogant, right? And my dad was a super godly man. But boy, I mean, he was, a, he, he was you know, you, you listened to him. You obeyed what he said. I came in one day from high ed, school, walked in. I had plans. I was going to go hang out with my friends. I walked in. My dad told me something to do, and I just stood there. He said, you don't want to do this, do you? Now, at that choice, you have a really significant choice in life. Stand there and be stupid or be very stupid and say no. Just in case you're wondering, I chose stupid over very stupid. Because I didn't want to say no because I knew what the results would be. Now, you think I'm kidding. My, I was 17, but my dad would have pulled that belt off and he'd been in jail today, you know. <laughs> but I remember what he said. He said, do I need to create some desire? No, I've got it. We're good. We're good. I can do that. When we lived in France, every morning I had the privilege of sitting there looking out this window. And out there, there was this mountain called Mount Saint-Victoire, which means the Victory Mountain. And I, I loved having my quiet time and looking at that because every day is a rem reminder that the victory is in him. The victory is in him. You know, he is our mountain. He is our victory. And I thought, one day I'm going to go climb that mountain. We decided to climb Mount, Mount Saint-Victoire on a, on a July morning when it was supposed to get up about 95 degrees that day and a humidity to match. Stupid. That was, that was really bad, you know. Let me tell you, just a long story short, about halfway up that mountain, I lost every ounce of desire, desire I had to climb that mountain. It was gone. But I climbed the mountain. Why? Because I was committed to climb the mountain. Desire will get you halfway up the mountain. Commitment will take you to the top. And we need to be committed to be followers of Christ. That's what we need to do. Say, I am going to follow him. Drop your nets and follow him. The second thing we see, and this is a truth that I believe he wanted his, his disciples to understand. 
One of my favorite, and I do mean favorite passages in the scripture is in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is a rich priestly prayer. Christ praying for his disciples, those that were his followers at that time. And he, by the way, in John 17, he prays for us too. He said, and for those who will believe. So Christ, at that particular moment, he was praying for us. And he said, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world. Just as I am not of this world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Christ's disciples, well, they just were not jerked out of the world at that moment. Now, this is sort of a, a true story, but one of the oddest stories I've heard about this. It was in uh, 1997, the International Monetary Fund told the country of Tajikistan over in Central Asia they were, they were not good treating their prisoners right. And they said, we're not going to give you any more money if you don't treat your prisoners right. So they, it's an Islamic country, so they went to the Muslim leaders and said, will you take care of your, the, uh, your prisoners? Bring them some food and clothes. They said, no, we don't, we don't want to do that. So then they went to the Russian Orthodox. That was a Russian country at one time, so the Russian Orthodox still there. So they went to the Russian Orthodox leaders and asked them, will you do it? They said, no. Then they went to Baptist Union. That is our partners in Central Asia. And when they asked him, they said, we'll do it, but under two conditions. We want a room to meet in, and we're going to preach the gospel to them. To which they said, who cares if these people become followers of Christ? They're the scum of the earth. Who's going to listen to them? He's talking about those prisoners. The young man who was selected to go to do that ministry told me his story, moving story. He said, so I went in there, and I walked into that room. That room was dark and dingy, musty smell. You can imagine, you know, you know, no light, just a sliver of light coming in there. He said, I was young. I walked in there. I had my Bible ready to go. He said, I walked in there. One man, one old man sitting there, you know, nothing against bald-headed people, so don't get excited. He was bald-headed, crinkly skin, you know, just looked mean. He said, I walked in. He said, what do you want, boy? He said, it scared me so bad. I dropped my Bible. I reached down. I picked it up. And he said, and I opened it, and it fell to Psalms 23. I read Psalms 23 as quickly as I could. And then when I got through, the old man said, what are you going to do, boy? Turn this all into sheep? He said, no, sir. I want to tell you how to find the green pastures. He said, and, but, and then I prayed, and I left. And he said, I, when I got outside of those gates, I was so ashamed of myself. Why didn't I say more? Why didn't I do more? He said, I pray, God, give me another chance. A week later, he goes back into that prison. Back into that prison. The room is full of prisoners, all sitting on the floor the way they do. The old man was sitting right there in the front. He looked up to him. He said, son, I want you to tell us how to find those green pastures. And he says, and I told them the plan of salvation is true story, people. He said, I told them the plan of salvation as quickly as I could, as clearly as I could. And when I got through, the man looked up to me and he said, son, I want to go to those green pastures. Now listen to this. And he dropped dead. And he said, I thought, man, that's not a very good evangelistic method, you know. He said, you're not of this world. He really wasn't of this world anymore. And that's not what he's talking about. You know that. He's saying, don't act like the world. Don't look like the world. Don't think like the world. You're not of this world. And he said, he didn't pray that God would take them out of the world. Did he? He said, I want you to protect them from the evil one. That was Christ's prayer for his disciples in John chapter 17. But I want to add one thing to this story. That was in 1997. I went to a church planners uh, convention or small meeting there. There were 21 church planners out of Central Asia, out of Tajikistan, sitting in that meeting. Listen to me carefully. 14 of them were former prisoners. 14 of them. 
Then if we look on down to John chapter 7, verse 7, he says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify it, about it that its works are evil. Now, thir a third thing that I think we see and learn about living the life of Christ, being a disciple, is proclaiming truth. Calling sin a sin. Now, if I was to stop and camp for about an hour on any subject, this would probably be it because we have moved, and, and I, think, I don't think anyone's going to sit here and argue with me that we're living in a very bad generation. The, the moral compass is broken. And can it be repaired? And, you know, I can only answer one thing, and that is for us as Christians to proclaim truth. Call sin, sin. If Christ said, if the Bible says, if God says that it is a sin, it is a sin, and this is non-negotiable. You do not, you know, people talk about, well, this is my faith, my faith, my faith. It's not your faith, it's his faith, it's his truth that's given, and that's what is our faith. Our faith is in what he tells and the truth that's given there. Christ, you know, I mean, he, you whited sepulchers, you know, I mean, he called you snakes, you generation of vipers. He called them out, I mean, I don't think we get by with that in this daytime. But I will challenge us to say we need to be the ones that are standing on the truth and proclaiming sin, sin. Now, I wouldn't recommend the way that one of our pastors did it in Ivory Coast. He had some men, three men in his church that weren't living right. So he called a little meeting, a little private meeting with them. And he said, okay, you guys, you call yourself Christians, you're acting like pagans. Oh, oh, oh you know, like Christians. Oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? Oh, you want me to tell you what, you, what I mean? I'll tell you. He said, you know pointed at one of them. He said, every day when you come in from the field, you're stopping off at the little beer joint, you know, homemade beer down at the other town. Uh, you know, well, I didn't know the preacher knew that. And then he says, and you? He looked at the second one. He said, and you? You've been visiting this lady over in another village. Oh, he looked at the third guy. He said, now, you want me to tell you what you're up to? He goes, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, <laughs> I don't need you to tell me what I've done. I know. He said, now, here's the problem. Here's the problem for us. You call yourself Christians. You're living like pagans what you're doing and he said now if you die and I can't even tell you I'd have to stop and tell you tell a whole lot more about this but in in the African mentality funerals are really really important and it has to be done a certain way and a lot of rituals he said if you die the pagans are not going to bury you because they you call yourself a Christian he said, and let me tell you something. If you die, we aren't going to bury you because you're acting like a pagan. Now, let me tell you something else. It's hard to bury yourself. So you need to choose. Who are you going to follow? He called. He named the sins. He told them what they were doing. He was brave about it. And this is what I believe Christ calls us to do. And it isn't, this is not about being mean and ugly. Well, you filthy sinner, you. I believe in what I call compassionate confrontation. Speak in love. If you can't speak in love, and I'm going to be really ugly here. If you can't speak in love, do what the great Will Rogers used to say. Never miss a good opportunity to shut up. If you can't speak that truth in love. And I do believe it's imperative that we speak that truth in love. But then let's continue. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Fourth lesson I think that we can learn. It's okay to have sinners, tax collectors if you want in that context, and sinners as friends. Now think about it. Do you have any non-Christian friends? You know, and you look at what happened when Christ's sitting there with the 
please don't, don't be this person. You know, Christ is sitting there with these tax collectors and sin, sinners, and these self-righteous people come by, and they point their waggy little fingers at him. Look at him. You know, look what he's doing. He's hanging around with sinners. It's a good idea to hang around with sinners because they need what you supposedly have, and that is the gospel. They need that truth that we're talking about. That's what he wants us to do. It's okay to have sinners as friends. Someone said one time, I don't even, you know, there are people in our church don't even know what a sinner smells like. Now, I don't know. I don't think they have a particular smell. I'm just saying. But the point is that we just don't have those friends. Some of, anyone know the book, uh, uh, The Insanity of Obedience, written by a guy named Nick Ripkin. It's a great book about people in other countries and what, what it means to really obey Christ in very, very tough situations. But in Nick's testimony, he was sort of a wild person. His dad was a, a wicked drunk and beat his mom. And he said, I made up my mind. If my dad beat my mom again, I was going to kill him. That's how his life was. And then one day his dad just kicked him out of the house and he said, I was 17 years old. I had no place to go. He said, then I went and found people, Christians, and he said, they led me to Christ. And then, and then he said this, not as a compliment. He said, but two weeks after I became a Christian, I no longer had any sinners as friends. He said, and they told me I needed to go off to, I'm just trying to speak truth to us. here. He said, and so I went off to a Bible college. It wasn't Welch, okay? He went, or it wasn't Randall, let me say that. Uh, but he said, he went off to a Bible college. He said, and I learned to be a sheep among sheep. Do you understand that? Not a sheep among wolves but a sheep among sheep. And he basically left those, those people who really, really need it. The, the sinners are the ones who need the gospel that we're, we are charged to go and proclaim to the nations. And if we don't have, all we're going to do is just be feeding the sheep. That's the pastor's job, you know, all of our jobs, been discipling. But the, the non-believers are the ones that need to hear that gospel. It's okay. I really think Christ set a great example because once they, he was scolded for it it didn't matter he did it again and again and again because that's what he did he loved everyone and then if we look at Mark chapter 16 verse 40, 41 it says even the son of man did not come to be served, served but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many thing that I think we see it over and over again in the life of Christ is he served people physical needs, spiritual needs. He was there. He was meeting their needs. And he has called on us to meet people's needs. Now, for a little exercise, a little mental gymnastics here, I want you to stop and think about your neighbor, someone you know, someone in your family even, perhaps one of your children. But someone that you know that's not following Christ, but they have a need. It may be something, I won't call this simple, but it may, they may need their grass cut, and they're not physically able to do it. They may need to go to the grocery store, but they can't go to the grocery store. They, there can be just so many physical, emotional, spiritual needs. The needs are out there. We don't have to worry about having needs. The question is, are we aware of those needs, and are we making an effort to meet those needs? Now, there's an African proverb. I love this African proverb. It says, a bee doesn't start its hive with honey. Now, if we put it in this context, we'll call the Gospels the honey. Now, and what we do quite often is we want to give someone the gospel, but we don't have time or energy to minister to any of their needs. I believe, I truly believe that it is through ministering to people's needs, we demonstrate the love of God, we let them know that we care about them, 
we love to let them know that we care about the situation and the difficulties they might be facing, and we're going to do what we can to help meet those needs. That is the hive. Then you pour the honey in, and it has something to stay. Otherwise, and I don't want to be, you know, not every time we understand that, but sometimes we're just pouring the honey on the ground. We need to understand that he called us to serve, and Christ set that example of serving others. When we were in Africa, honestly, I, any day we were on our station, any day we were in our home, I mean, people came by all the time asking for something, everything from a drink of water to $5,000, and I'm not making that up. $5,000 someone asked for. Of course, you can't meet every need that there, there is there. But I can tell you, you can meet people's needs. And I don't, my wife, amazing, amazing amount of energy that she has in serving and loving others. And people would come by on their way to their fields or back from their fields, and they just stop. We were the last house right at the end of town, and they stop and want just a glass of water. And in town, please don't take this as bragging or being pretentious, but in our town, the little small town we were in, we were known as the white people that would give water. I thought, wow. How, and it seems so simple. But if we give a cup of water in his name, it's going, every sin that you have ever committed can be forgiven and forgotten. But it says if you give a cup of water in his name, it's not going to be forgotten. We need to learn to serve others and serve others willingly. Wish I had two hours. Don't say you do. Don't say that because I, you'll be asking for trouble you don't want. Mark chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Now, I love me. Can we, you're going to sort of agree with that, right? If you're going to be honest. you love yourself? Maybe some of you don't. Uh, and neither does anyone else. Oh, I'm just kidding. But, you know. But if, most of us, we do love ourselves. And when Christ did anything, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's putting up. And then he t- calls on us, I, I love myself. But then he says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now, when he says deny yourself, this is not giving up chocolate for a week, okay? That's not what he's talking about. Not giving up your Starbucks for a week or whatever. He is really saying, I become second. You want, you want to know God's order in this, earth, in this world? God, others, you. That's what he wants us to understand. He is first always. Others are always second. And then ourselves. Now, that's, very, that's simple and it's complex all at the same time, and I understand that. I, my friend Neil Gilliland said, and I love the way, I think this is a great thought. He said, once you lay down your life, you say, I'm willing, I'm sacrificing. This is the sacrifice. There are no more sacrifices. So it starts with us following him, doing the things that he's commanded us to do, living in obedience, serving others. And then he says, but if you're going to take this all the way, you have to be willing to lay down your life. Easier said than done, would we agree? There was a couple from Bangladesh that came to the United States of America, made a pretty good living, Christian, solid Christian family. They went back to Bangladesh just for a visit. Then they took money to build a church. That's what they wanted to do. 
the lady was out there building, helping, the lady was out there helping, doing what she could and work. Some men showed up, Muslim men showed up, took post hole diggers and beat her with those hole, post hole diggers. Crushed her legs and said, if you'll stop building this building, then we will stop beating you. She said, no. They beat her. Finally, some others came up and stopped the beating. Now, you hear that story. I had two people from our office, friends that were out visiting, Danny Gasperson and another, uh, Kenneth Eagleton, and they were sitting there and in Bangladesh, and this lady was telling them this story. And I don't know what that does to you, but I'm sitting there, wow. Someone's sitting there beating you with post hole diggers, telling you all you've got to do is stop doing this project. Okay, I'm good. You know, I mean, let's be honest. But Danny said, he was just like, wow, that is amazing. To which the lady replied, and I want you, I hope this hits home with you. Wouldn't all Christians do that? Deny yourself. Be willing to lay down your life and pay the ultimate price for the cause of Christ. That's what he's called us to do. Follow him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and be faithful to him. He equipped his disciples. He gave us a great example. And we still have that example for us to follow today. May God help us to be true disciples, true followers of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful just for the privilege of being here with our brothers and sisters today. We thank you for their just immense generosity for the World Mission Offering. Thank you for their commitment to excellence in the music and in the presentation and greeting people and all the things they do so well. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them. And we pray that the words today would be a challenge for all of us to just check ourselves again. Are we ministering to people who really care? Are we walking? Are we willing to call sin, sin? Are we ready to literally lay down our lives that others might hear about you? pray, Lord, that you stir in our hearts. Help us to be obedient, to follow you every day of our life. In thy name we pray. Amen. Bless you, buddy. Amen. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to all of us. If you're here this morning and you're without Christ, you're without hope, you cannot say with confidence. can't say that this morning would you come today and give your heart to Jesus it's as simple as ABC A admit that you're a sinner we all are B believe Jesus died for our sins and C confess him as Lord of our life my friend if you've never done that I plead with you come accept the gift of salvation for the rest of us would you join me here at the altar today as I rededicate my life to the Lord, as I deny myself and say yes to the call of God to be a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and God is speaking to you about serving him in a specific way. And you need to come and lay your life on the altar and say, yes, Lord, I will serve. Maybe you're a young person, God is calling you to be a missionary or a pastor. Maybe you're a grown adult and God is calling you to drop your net 
and go serve him somewhere else. If so, would you come? Would you pray? Stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Praise team is going to sing. Would you join me at the altar as God speaks to your heart? Don't reject. Don't wait. Come now. Let's come and pray. Maybe you just need to come and say yes to him. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Would you lay that burden on the altar? Say yes to Jesus. Lord, whatever, I'll do it. Come and join us as we pray. Lord, thank you for the challenging message that we've heard, and I pray, dear Lord, that we would be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. Lord, beyond that, I pray that we'd be your witness in this this dark, sinful world. Help us to share the good news. Help us to become the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus. Thank you for our church. I pray that we would find refuge here, healing here, and help here. But I pray that we would walk beyond these walls and these doors and be a light to a dark, dark world. Thank you for Brother Clint, Brother Don. Thank you for their presence in this service today and the challenging words we've heard. I pray that you'd bless the ministry of international missions. And Lord, I'm just lifting up all of our missionaries to you right now. Let them know we love them and we're praying for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you. You can be seated just for a moment. Did everybody receive a flag? International Missions sent us these flags to pass out today. Everybody get a flag. If you did get a flag, get one before you leave. Uh, do, you, do you know the country that your flag represents? How many of you know the country your flag represents? Okay, a few of you do. That means the rest of us, don't, we don't have any idea what this represents. My challenge to you is go home, Google it, find out what country your flag represents, and then pray for that country 
and those missionaries who are serving there. Brother Clint, thank you. Give Brother Clint Morgan a big hand. Appreciate you coming and being here. Brother Clint has given Brother Don the check. It's in his possession. You're going to take it back and present it to the officer and staff. Let them know that we love them at Kavanaugh Church here. We love them. We're praying for each one of them. As you walk out of the room, make sure you drop your offering in one of those black boxes. We appreciate it. Uh, school is back in session. Football is being played. There you go, man. Most everybody has uh, something to celebrate. Uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Colorado, man. I guess they're back on the map, aren't they? I won't, I won't get into all that. But anyway, the end of this month, we're going to have a back-to-church celebration. Uh, kids are back in school. Everything's kind of getting back to normal. We want everybody back in church. So if you're missing someone who's not here, make sure you invite them and get them back in. Uh, that evening, we're going to have a back-to-church bash out on our property here with uh, carnival, food. I mean, it's, it's going to be absolutely awesome. Not only a fun time for you, but what a tremendous opportunity for us to bring unchurched and unsaved people on our campus and serve them the love of Jesus Christ. So we'll be telling you more about that. Man, I tell you what, I, I love you guys. First service, we had Ray and Charlotte Copeland back. Uh, first time they've been able to come back for the past 12 weeks. Continue to pray for both of their health. Let's pray for each other. Go out there and be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus.